Uh, tonight we're continuing the series uh, through Heroes in the Old Testament. And it's a summer series that we're doing for five weeks in August. We've looked at Esther so far last week. And uh, it was a sort of free, a free hit, as you like, uh, from the staff team. Toby said, uh, choose a Sunday and choose an Old Testament hero. I was thinking, where do I start? I mean, there's so many, and there's so many that I understand a little bit, so many that I don't understand so much. And I sort of landed on Jonah for two reasons. Firstly, I've had this book on my shelf for a long time. This is a book by Tim Keller, who's a biblical American guy from New York, um, who'd written this book called The Prodigal Prophet. And it's all about Jonah, which I'm going to speak about tonight. I thought, I need to read that one day. So it gave me a little excuse to read a book that I'd been managed, hoping to read uh, for a long time. And the second reason I chose Jonah is because my son Jasper, who is five, has spent pretty much every night of lockdown asking to, for me to read the same book to him. And the book is called The World of Oceans. Now, um, he is a bit of an ocean geek. This is a not, a, it's not a novel. This is not a sort of not, you know, fiction book. This is sort of hard facts about every ocean and every sea in the world. And it goes through every creature that lives in the sea, uh, from sort of tiny little shrimps and small things right through to blue whales and orcas and everything. Anyway, every night, I, I kid you not, this is totally true, every night in lockdown, he's, I said, what, what story, what book would you like us to read tonight? And he's like, World of Oceans, Daddy, World of Oceans, obviously. I, it's almost like I don't need to ask, I just ask because I think he might choose something else. But every, every night, it's like World of, there is also the sequel, World of Birds and uh, World of Forests. So uh, it has sort of branched out a little bit because we got so fed up of World of Oceans. Anyway, uh, we couple that book, World of Oceans, sometimes um, we, we couple it with the Bible. So we work through the Bible and do some Bible readings with him. Anyway, it got to the point where we're reading World of Oceans and the story of Jonah. And Jasper turned to me and said, Daddy, like totally serious question, Daddy, which one of these creatures, ocean, um, fish, whales or sharks, would have eaten Jonah? I was thinking, I don't know. I need, to, I need to work this out. It doesn't tell, doesn't tell you in the book. Um, anyway, um, it left me thinking, well, it, was it a blue whale? M- needed to be, we're trying to work out the size of a human, the size of a shark or a whale or a big fish. Uh, was it a basking shark? Was it... Anyway, I, I sort of said, I think we settled on a blue whale. So we were like, it was a blue whale. It was a blue whale. Because it, a blue whale could probably have a mouth big enough to swim into, and that'll all be fine. Anyway, the story of Jonah we're looking at tonight can be quite confusing. We just read um, chapter 4. Uh, we're going to come on to chapters 1, 2, and 3 in a minute. But the whole story about um, a disobedient prophet going the opposite way to where he's called, uh, a, a whale or a shark or a fish, whatever, um, swallowing a human, a man, this guy Jonah, uh, spending three days in the belly of a fish and then being vomited onto, the, onto dry land. Uh, and then later on, we look at this, um, this vine that grows up and dies overnight. There's so much going on. So what on earth is this about? Uh, why is it in the Bible? Uh, and what can we learn from it today? Well, I wonder if um, you have ever been angry at God. Have you ever been angry at God? Maybe right now, tonight, you're sat there and you are angry for some reason with God. Maybe something's happened and you are angry about that. Maybe something hasn't happened and you're angry about that. Well, tonight I've called my talk Jonah, the angry hero, because he is a hero, and he's mentioned in the New Testament, as we'll come on to later on. He is a hero, but the whole chap- the whole book and the story ends with this sort of like weird chapter of, it's not a resolution, it's not like, hooray, he's a hero, well done Jonah, Brr, you know, all the trumpet sound. It ends with this sort of like question, and then this cliffhanger, 
and we'll get onto that later on. But the story of Jonah for us is good news. It's good news for us. There is good news in Jonah's anger. And um, many of us uh, journey in our faith. Some of us are newer to faith than others. Some of us are uh, maybe been Christians for many years. But walking out our Christian life involves struggles. It involves ups. It involves downs. It involves times where we uh, are on mountaintops and rejoicing. It involves times when we're down in the valley and we haven't got a clue where God is, what God's up to. And we doubt maybe our own faith. We doubt why we came to faith. We doubt many, many things. And the story of Jonah from beginning to end for us is reassuring because it shows that even an Old Testament hero who's written about in the Old Testament in the Bible can give us reassurance uh, in our hardest moments. Now, we haven't got time to do the whole uh, story, chapters one to three, but I was chatting to um, Nay, my wife, and she says, well, you can't just preach about chapter four if you haven't done the whole, you know, filled in with the whole story, chapters one to three. So I said, could I challenge myself to run through the whole of chapters one, two, three uh, with a two-minute overview? So if you get your timers out, and, try and um, I'm going to try and do this in two minutes, because if you've never heard the story of Jonah before, you might sort of have uh, either don't know what it is or you've forgotten what it is. Uh, so I'm going to try and do this. Um, buckle up, two minutes of chapters one, two, three, the story of Jonah. Here we go. So Jonah is a known prophet, and a prophet is of someone who can hear the voice of God and speak the word of God to people. Uh, but this isn't the first time that we've ever come across Jonah in the Old Testament. Actually, he was mentioned in two kings. He was known as someone who was revered and who was a prophet of God. Um, there's a moment where Jonah goes to speak to the king to set uh, the people free, a bit like Moses. So he was known as someone who was a prophet, who was obedient. But we get to chapter one of Jonah, Jonah chapter one, and he is called to a place called Nineveh. He's called to a place in Nineveh to go and preach repentance. But if you know the story, he doesn't do that. In fact, Nineveh's that way. He gets on a boat and goes completely the opposite way. He says, nope, not having anything to do with that. And we're unsure why, but we'll find out later on. So um, he is known as being obedient, but he disobeys in this beginning of Jonah 1. He goes completely the opposite way. He jumps on a boat, gets as far away as quickly as possible, away to a place called Tarshish. He's on a boat, and God thinks he's gone the wrong way. He's been disobedient. I need to do something about this. So what does God do? They're on a boat. God creates a storm. And Jonah knows that the reason the storm has come is because he is on the boat heading the wrong way. The sailors and all the other people on the boat freak out. They're like, what's going on? Who are you? You've just jumped on our boat. And Jonah says, I know I'm in the wrong place. I know this storm has come because I have disobeyed what God says. Throw me overboard. The storm will finish. and My life, um, my life will be ended. Yours will be saved. So he gets thrown overboard. The storm stops. And he is then swallowed by a fish, sperm whale, blue whale, not sure, check out the world of oceans, um, some sort of large fish yet to be discovered and, um, or yet to be known about. <laughs> uh, lots of websites that you can find out about that if you want to. Anyway, he's swallowed by this large fish and in the belly of the fish for three days and then spat up, uh, sorry, in the, in the belly of the fish, he then prays to God, say, Lord, save me. Turn my heart back to you. And gradually he um, prays to God, says, salvation belongs to you, God. What I vowed I will do. I've gone the wrong way. And there's this moment of repentance in the belly of the fish. And then the fish swallows, um, spits him back out onto the dry land. And then the word of the Lord, chapter 3, comes to Jonah again. And God says, arise, Jonah. 
go to Tarshish, go to Nineveh, and preach repentance. So then, having been in the belly of the fish, spat out, he then heads to Nineveh to preach and says, turn away from your wicked ways. Repent and come to God. And then, lo and behold, they accept his message, and the city of Nineveh is 120,000 people. That is the size of, apparently, Exeter or Bath. No, Exeter or Gloucester, I looked up. Um, 120,000 people, all saved in one preach, and uh, revival breaks out. But then, that was about two and a half minutes, but then, chapter four comes. 120,000 people have been saved. God has been seen to do a miraculous thing. Jonah sits down above the city, probably on a hill, looking over the city, and says, I'm so angry. And you're reading this thinking, what? Like, if one of us, if you'd been called to go to Exeter to preach repentance in in the city of Exeter, and the whole of Exeter had turned uh, to God, and you'd seen massive revival break out, surely it'd be like, let's throw a party, let's go. This is amazing. God's at work. God's doing an amazing thing. But Jonah, as we're going to find out later, is angry with what God has done. He's, he's, not, he's angry at what's happened. And you're thinking, you're reading this thinking, why? What is going on? You'd expect a sort of triumphant march. But something is weird. Something is odd that is happening here. And I find this really reassuring because you look at these Old Testament heroes. You look at these guys that are quoted in the New Testament as being heroes. You're thinking, surely they must have done something right. But they as we see through the whole of Jonah, have deep flaws, flaws of disobedience, flaws of anger. So tonight, we are going to dig into these things. So tonight, my um, talk has two points. The first is this. In our disobedience, that is going the, the way that God, not, not the way that God has wanted. In our disobedience, God's call remains. In our disobedience, God calls, our, God's call remains. And the second is this. In our anger, God is gracious. So firstly then, in our disobedience, God's call remains. What's extraordinary about this is that having gone totally the other way, having been swallowed by a fish and spat out, at the start of chapter 3, in verse 1, it says this, I quoted it earlier on, the word of God came to Jonah a second time, and Jonah obeyed the word and went to Nineveh. Now, you might have thought, if you were giving someone a job and they didn't do it, in fact, they did completely the opposite thing to what you said you wanted to do, if you were that boss, if you were that manager, you might think, ah, you've had your chance, you did exactly the opposite to what I wanted, uh, that's your chance gone, I'm going to ask someone else. But what does God do? God saves Jonah uh, through the fish, he brings salvation to him, and he reinstates him with the job that he wanted to do, wanted him to do. So in Jonah's disobedience, God's call on his life remained. And I love that word at the beginning of chapter 3. It says, arise and go to Nineveh. Get up and arise and do what I've asked you to do. So God has both saved Jonah, Jonah's life and reinstated his purpose. So what do we learn from this? In, in our disobedience, in Jonah's disobedience, God's call remains. Well, at the start of both chapter 3, where he's um, praying out to God, and chapter 4, where he's angry, we see that in, in Jonah's greatest lows, in his like, most desperate, uh, darkest situations, God doesn't give up on Jonah. And the good news for us today, as we look at this Old Testament hero, 
is it's the same is true for us today. God hasn't given up on us. God will never give up on us. And today we can have confidence that God does not give up on us. And I don't know whether you sense in your own life a calling to do something or whether you've had a sense of God speaking to you about, I want you to do this, or you have a, a passion inside you to do this. And some, maybe because of other things or selfish ambition, uh, we, we battle with the calling that we feel like God has over our lives. I know for me, certainly, I uh, thought my life was heading down a, a certain route. I trained as a musician, and I was uh, pursuing music and pursuing uh, a, a career performing and on stage and different things. And I always felt like God was saying, that, I've given you gifts, but not for that reason. And I felt like for years I had this battle through my 20s about what was it that God wanted me to do? Was I to um, pursue my own sort of ambition and, and be on the stage and different things? And God was saying, no, 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 I want you to use your musical gifts for me in the church, for worship. And it got to the point where I was sort of battling with this thing for so long. I was battling with what God was calling me to and, and my own, own selfish ambition. It got to the point where I had, I think, about three part-time jobs because I couldn't make a decision one way or another way. And I was literally like, i just got to do them all. So I was basically trying to do everything that I wanted to do and then things that God wants me to do. And the whole thing just ended up in a big sort of burnout mess. And I was doing probably a week and a half's work in six days. And it was all a bit bonkers. And I had to lay down my own selfish will and say, God, your will be done, not my own. And I don't know whether you resonate with any of that as well, whether you sort of have a, a feeling, a battle of like, I know God wants me to do this, but I have a sort of battle within me. Well, tonight, um, if you're feeling like you have um, missed the call of God or, or you've disobeyed the call of God, we can take heart from Jonah because even in his disobedience, God was with him. God's call remained on Jonah's life. Secondly then, um, in our anger... In our anger, God is gracious. Chapter 4, verse 1, the beginning of um, what Sarah just read to us, it says this, But to Jonah, this seemed wrong, and he became angry. Now, I've talked a lot about Jonah's anger, and this whole thing of 120,000 people being saved in Nineveh, and Jonah sitting down and just hating what has happened. Why was this the case, you might ask? 120,000 people, Jonah was still angry. Why? Well, simply this. He hated the Ninevites. He hated, there were people that were total, total enemies of his. The Ninevites was the, uh, the sort of capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire hated the people of God. They hated the kingdom of Israel. And they were persecuting them. They were treating them badly. They were taking their land. And they were almost like to- at war. They were total, total enemies. So Jonah, as the, as the representative of God, the kingdom of Israel, was going as a prophet of Israel to his enemies and saying, God loves you. God wants you to turn to him. And he hated the fact that God had had mercy on his enemies and saved them. The last thing he wanted to do, the last thing Jonah wanted God to do, uh, was to save his oppressors. So there's this dilemma going on in Jonah. He's sort of having an internal mental battle. I know I'm a prophet. I know I'm supposed to do what God says. But God's saying, go and preach to my enemies and tell them that God loves them and wants to restore them and save them from destruction. I want them destroyed. But you see, in that time, if Jonah had ignored his prophetic call and just remained where he was, then his whole reputation as a prophet would have been ruined. 
So Jonah is furious with God for having mercy on his enemies. And anger is mentioned, and him being angry is mentioned four times in that chapter four. It's almost like Jonah can't stand having this prophetic ministry. He's got this gift, but God has used him uh, to save his enemies. And the, 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 chap, the next verse in chapter four um, that Sarah read says this, "'O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God.'" Now, you might read that and say, I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God. But actually, Jonah is saying, I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, and yet you saved them. He knew that that was what was going to happen. He was angry at God. You can almost imagine his anger there. And then this moment with the vine as well at the end. This is the moment where God is just saying, do you know what? You are not God. I am God. God is teaching him that he is above Jonah's life. He is caring for Jonah. He is caring for the Ninevites. And I don't know when in your life you get angry. Maybe at the moment you're angry at something or at a situation, something that's happened or not happened, something that um, you're angry at God with. For me, um, I get angry sometimes when I see God moving in someone's life, and, I, and I'm desperate for the same thing to happen to me. And I think a lot of our anger comes from comparing ourselves to each other or someone else. When we compare and we see that something's happening to someone else and not us, we can get resentful. And then when we get resentful, we get angry. And I know in my life, when um, I think back to, to when I was um, baptized as a 15-year-old, I was baptized at church, and... Um, I remember standing next to someone who had had an amazing testimony of God moving in their lives. They're almost like a Jonah, going completely the opposite way, had a dramatic transformation and dramatic come to faith. And I'd sort of just grown up sort of as a good Christian boy in a household and not had a sort of that dramatic moment. I remember standing next to that person and thinking, oh, I wish I'd had some sort of dramatic story to tell at my, at my baptism. And I just sort of had a very ordinary and plain story. And I remember sort of feeling that sense of like, Oh, God, why didn't you do something amazing for me like that? And I think we can easily compare our lives and our faith journeys with others. We see maybe God working in someone else's life, and it, it, it sort of grates with us. Well, tonight, I'd love to remind you that you are not God. He is. You are not God. He is. So don't compare your life with other people. Anger comes in all sorts of different um, forms and, and for different reasons. Uh, there is righteous anger at something that is morally or ethically wrong. There is um, anger at situations that we can't control in our lives, maybe something that's out of our control in our families or our friends. Anger of feelings that, that God is distant, that God has abandoned us. And it's important to note here um, that even in Jonah's darkest moments, even this, in this moment of um, almost suicidal thoughts here, he's saying, I, I'd, I'd rather die. I want to die. I'm so angry, it's not worth me living. That God is there with him. God is there with him in his darkest moments, in his angry, most angry moments. And that is a huge encouragement to us, to me. When I get the urge to, to get angry, when I'm feeling like things are out of control or things aren't happening the way I want to them to be. And we see anguish through the Bible. We see anger expressed in the Psalms. And my encouragement to you and to us tonight is that it's okay to be angry. It's a normal thing to respond in anger sometimes in, in situations that are out of our control. But 
I would encourage you to bring your anger, as Jonah did, before God in prayer. Bring yourself honestly before God. Don't hide uh, what it is you're feeling. Because he is loving, because he is gracious. In our anger, God is gracious. He was gracious with Jonah, and he's gracious with us. And he longs for us to bring our whole selves to God, to him. So maybe tonight, that is a word for you. That sense of, um, don't hide your angry thoughts. Maybe there's even people here tonight who struggle with anger in some way. Anger issues, anger management. Maybe you snap, maybe you just lose it like that at the drop of a hat. Bring yourself honestly before God. Um, Those are normal feelings and normal thoughts, and God is not too um, small to deal with them. We can bring our whole experience before God. So those are the two things I wanted to say about chapter four. In our disobedience, God remains faithful. In our anger, God is gracious. Now, interestingly, I love working out how um, the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. And sometimes we can think the Old Testament is just old, (laughs) and the New Testament is where it's all, all at. Jesus and the early church, brilliant. And sometimes it's hard to pair the two together, isn't it? Sort of think about, is it the same God? Is it the same story? What's going on? Interestingly, Jonah is name-checked by Jesus twice. Uh, Jonah, the story of Jonah would have been known by the people of God. It would have been a story famous, and the whole repentance of Nineveh would have been a famous story that they kept telling. And some of Jesus' followers and the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign of what was going to happen to him at the end of his life. And he calls it the sign of Jonah. And Jesus, when he's speaking to them about what's going to happen, says this in Matthew 12. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This is Jesus speaking about himself, how he's going to die and come back to life. Jonah's experience of salvation and rescue was almost just like a a foretaste of what Jesus was going to do. buried in the ground, coming back to life, the ultimate display of justice and grace. But I'd love to stay in the New Testament for a little while longer because I was reading this book and I was struck by one amazing moment, which is this. Those themes of disobedience that Jonah had, going completely the opposite way, not doing what God had called, and anger, his response to what God did, is paralleled in the story of the prodigal son. And some people think that when Jesus told the story in Luke 15 of the story of the prodigal son, where uh, the son goes away and spends his inheritance, lives selfishly, and then comes back um, pleading with God for mercy and and justice. People think that Jesus was actually basing that story on Jonah. If you think of it, uh, let's look at it. Because Jonah the prophet disobeys God, goes his own way, in fact goes the opposite way, just like the younger son, ignoring the father's instruction ending up causing himself near death and destruction. But God remains faithful to Jonah, remains faithful to the younger son, and just welcomes him back, welcomes him back as he repents. And then just because, uh, because God shows not destruction but grace and mercy, because of that, the older son, as you know the story, the older son is resentful to the father. He said, I've been working all these years. I've been good to you. I've been faithful. And you've shown mercy on someone who's turned their back on you. And the older son is angry, just like Jonah is angry at the end of this story. Jonah is angry because God has shown mercy 
on the people of Nineveh. The older son is angry because the father has shown mercy on the younger son. So Jonah is actually playing both parts of the story of the prodigal son. He's playing the part of the younger son who turns his back on God. Jonah is also playing the part of the older son, the older brother, who is angry and resentful. So in Jonah, God chooses a man who he knew would be disobedient. That is encouraging for us because in our weakness today, we choose to follow God. We have ups and downs. We have highs and lows. We have moments where we know God's call and we follow it. We have moments where we uh, know the call and we don't follow it. We have moments of disobedience even today. But God remains faithful. And even when we feel angry, when anger, when things happen to us, as Jonah felt um, maybe anger because of uh, the salvation of his enemies, God remains gracious. Just lastly then, um, the ending of Jonah. If you look at the book of Jonah and you read the last bit again, the last bit of the chapter four that we had read to us, it finishes with this. It's simply a question that God asks Jonah. It's not the sort of great triumphant, yeah, Jonah's great, God's amazing, let's, all these people are saved, hooray, let's go home, have a cup of tea. It's, it's basically this question that God asked Jonah, and he says this, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? But there's no reply from Jonah, he just disappears. In fact, it's almost like you need a Jonah part two or a, a sort of sequel coming um, later on. And many biblical scholars think that was totally deliberate because it makes us think about our understanding of God's grace. Shouldn't God have mercy for the people that we find detestable? Shouldn't God have mercy and grace for those enemies of ours that we just could not love in our own strength, just like Jonah couldn't love the Ninevites? It's open-ended for us to almost do some deep soul-searching about what is our understanding of grace? God's love, unconditional undeserved the grace of God uh, just a few days ago I was in a church in Wales on the coast of Wales up in North Wales in a place called Aberdarren um, right on the end of a peninsula in Wales and um, I was there uh, with some family and I was there and I quickly realized that this church right on the coast of um, the Welsh coast was the place where a poet, R.S. Thomas, the Welsh famous poet, uh, was a, a priest. He was also a poet and a priest. And um, we were there, and I, there was one of his poems on the, on the wall because it was sort of had a little um, notice board all about R.S. Thomas. Now, if you know anything about poetry, and I don't say you need to, need to but um, R.S. Thomas is famous for being a bit of a miserable, um, depressive type. He openly doubted um, about what he believed, and he was uh, questioning God. He had a faith, but he was real with his questions. He was real with his anger. He was real with how he felt in certain situations. And um, he's almost like a bit of a Jonah figure for us today. He only died, I think, about 20 years ago. And he wrote a poem called Kneeling, Kneeling. And this poem was written on the board in this church where he was a vicar uh, back in the 60s. And it got me thinking, because I was thinking about um, preaching about Jonah, and it suddenly spoke to me about how we too are like Jonah. And this is the last bit of his poem called Kneeling. I'm just going to read these words. It says this, Prompt me, God, but not yet. 
When I speak, though it be you who speak through me, something is lost. The meaning is in the waiting. And as I think Jonah sat and waited on that hilltop, having seen what God had done, having seen 120,000 people saved, he was still questioning what the meaning was. He was, he was waiting for understanding of what God uh, was going to do next. He was still uh, trying to get his head around unconditional love and grace. Why would God save these people when I couldn't do it in my own strength? God was still working and saving, but not 120,000 people. He was trying to work in Jonah, the one. He was trying to work in Jonah's heart and save Jonah. So I find Jonah just a huge reassurance in my life. When I feel like I've gone away from God, when I feel like I'm angry with what God is doing and, and, or angry that God's not acting in a way that I want him to act, Jonah's story and the character of Jonah gives us a hero, an angry hero, but a hero nonetheless um, of what God can do in us and through us. Amen. Amen.